0: Hello, I'm Jen Taylor, host of the Design Your Wedding Business Podcast. I am letting you know that I have created a great quiz that will help you figure out which of the eight CEOs you need to be working on and the tasks that would benefit you the most. I hope you hop down to the show notes, click the link and take the quiz. I promise it's a quick two minute quiz. And I can't wait to see what your feedback is. Thank you. Hey, I'm Jen Taylor, and you're listening to Design Your Wedding Business. As a wedding business coach, I've made it my mission to help creative entrepreneurs build streamlined workflows, processes, and procedures so they can grow their business and spend time on what they love the most, their craft, their family, and their lives. I understand how you feel, and I know it may not be fun to put in the work to build a well-oiled machine, but luckily for you, that's what I love to do. On this podcast, I'm teaching you how to take the stress and chaos out of your business, remove the guesswork, and discover a clear, profitable path to sustainable growth. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Jen Taylor, your host for the Design Your Wedding Business Podcast. In episode 38, this one, we talked to Renee Dallow about how the power of language works and how it affects your business. And once you start working through her four-step process, you will see how it can transform your business. Wedding planning wasn't always in the cards for Renee. Instead of what started out as a seemingly one-time favor for a friend, evolved into a thriving side hustle to her acting career. When it was her turn to walk down the aisle, she flipped the script and discovered that the wedding industry was truly where she belonged. Shortly after her ideas, she started Moxie Bright Weddings, a boutique wedding planning company, and never looked back. It wasn't long before fellow industry pros were looking to her for advice. With over 13 years of experience under her belt, Renee turned her knowledge towards the advancement of the industry as a whole and lost her top-notch educational resource for event pros. In addition to her self-guided wedding management e-course, Renee is also the founder and host of the popular B2B podcast, Talked with Renee Dallow. Renee is a fan favorite on the speaker circuit, taking the stage at conferences across the country, including Alt Summit, Wedding MBA, and The Special Event, along with others. She is recognized across the industry as having earned coveted spots on the HoneyBook 20 on the Rise list and BizBash's Most Influential Event Pro list. She contributes frequently to the industry publications, and serves as the president of WEPA Southern California and has also held leadership roles in the Association of Bridal Consultants and the Rising Tide Society. So let's welcome Renee Dalla. Well, hello, Renee. I'm so excited to have you on the Design Your Wedding Business podcast and talking about the power of language. So tell me more about the power of language. Well, first, I'm just really happy to be here. So thanks for having me. But yeah, power of language, you know, power of language is a thing
1: that I started Really becoming a little bit obsessed with many years ago, like 2015 or 2016, when I was at a networking event with a friend who had been in the wedding industry like far longer than me, like 10 plus years at that point. And someone asked her what she did and she said, I'm just a wedding planner. Like my heart sank, right? Because she couldn't hear how it sounded. Really? Really? But I standing next to her, I so admired her and I was like, she's so successful and so strong and so confident. And then someone said, What are you doing? She was, Well, I'm just a wedding planner. And I was like, What? No, like monster from inside my brain was like, No, don't do that. But you know, in that moment I didn't say anything to her. And then I really started thinking about how we speak about what we do and how we talk about even to ourselves, about who we are and what we do and what we get to do and what we have to do and how It can be a fairly simple adjustment to make, but it really does change your whole perspective
0: on things. And therefore, I think, I mean, not to sound like
1: lofty or whatever, but it really can change your whole business. Yeah.
0: So what are the four areas that people should be looking at when it comes to the language that we use?
1: So, yeah, there's, I mean, are there only four? No, but the four that we can talk about today is one, your elevator pitch, right? So it's like how you talk about what you do. I.e., are you just a DJ or just a wedding planner? Or like in my case, when someone calls me a coordinator, I lose my damn mind. I'm not a coordinator of any. Please don't call me a coordinator. I Coordinator is to me, it feels like someone who like sits in a cubicle, and like files paper. Uh, no, what we do is so much bigger than that. It's not a big enough word for what we do. second area is limiting language. So that's, there's a long list of ones I can talk about, but that's using the word just or actually, or saying you're sorry for things that are not your fault or just any and all language that we use, especially with clients that puts us in the position of like being deferential, right? Which sometimes we have, I mean, listen, if I do something wrong, I'm going to say, I'm sorry. But for the most part, we're all running around town being like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't respond to your email in the middle of the light while I was sleeping, like. No, and then really writing compelling copy because so much of her business is now done via Instagram caption. And I don't know about you, but I'm really sick of hearing of like seeing a beautiful photo and having someone write like I did a thing. Yeah, you did more than just a thing, right? Or like of photos of some flowers being like pretty, like okay, but that doesn't tell me anything about you or your perspective or what you're selling or who you serve. And there's so much more we could be doing with our words. And we're just getting lazy about it or just we're insecure about it, you know? And so that's why I wanted to talk about it. And then also there are some actual tools that I can share with you that are far and beyond me. Like, well, just notice that you're doing it and stop because that's the first thing. But then once you do notice it, like we have some tools for you.
0: Okay. we'll sing into all four, you know, backstory is I heard Renee talk. She came out to WIPA Seattle a couple of yeah. months and she did this talk. And I think a lot of us fall into this category is the limiting language. Oh my gosh. Yep. Well, so let's dig into that and then dig into the tools and the tips. Sure. And those two are probably are the two top things that I found. Of course, limiting language all day, every day. So let's Yeah. All
1: of course. And you know, here's the thing, like before we even get into this, like no shame, right? If we're talking about this and you're like, oh my God, this is me. Like it's cool. It's all of us. That's why I talk about it. And you can just start making different choices like literally today as soon as you're done listening to this, right? So the first one is just, I know I talked about it in the context of my friend, but then also like how many times have you sent an email, you know, as me as a wedding planner, where I will write to like, say the florist and say, hey, just checking in to see if you've had a chance to read that timeline. And although it feels really like kind of innocuous, like, well, what's the difference? Just is a word that almost never needs to be there. Because it's a much stronger sentence for you to say, I'm checking in to see if you've had time to look at the timeline. Like The word just doesn't add anything except it makes us look and feel small. Like, oh, I'm just, don't mind me. I'm over here just doing my job. Yeah. So for me, just is the word that I could throw in the garbage and never pick back up. I don't know what we use it for. That's positive or me. And I just, I want to leave it away. See, I just said it. You hear that? I just said it. And that's the thing. We continue, even those of us who are obsessed with this work, like me, we continue to have these things sneak in because so much of our languages, you know, it's based on our family background. It's based on the people we hang out with the most. It's based on the TV shows we watch. I mean, I don't know if you watch Schitt's Creek. Do you watch Schitt's Creek?
0: Not yet. I'm going to do a binge. I'm I'm. Terrible. First of all,
1: I'm gonna, I might stop this recording and you might have to go watch it right now. Oh, no, but... Though characters in Schitt's Creek all have really particular like cadence to their voice and language that they use, the show has its own language, like of phrases and and you know sound bites and stuff. And so I'm obsessed with that show. And when I was becoming like deeply obsessed with it during the pandemic, my husband was like, "You sound like Alexis. Can you please stop?" And she's kind of a Kardashian, so she's like, ew, David," and like you know she kind of has this way. And I was doing it because it was in my head all the time because that's what we were doing during the pandemic was just binging our shows. So all these things, like if you find yourself doing it and then you think, oh my God, my friend does that too. It's like, well, why do you think you both do it? Sorry is a big one. The thing about sorry is this. When we start apologizing for things that we have no business apologizing for, like not answering an email overnight while we were asleep or not getting back to someone on a Sunday when we're with our families or, you know, God forbid we get sick and we have to take a couple days off. And then we're scrambling around our inbox saying, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I understand that you are sorry. Right. But all you need to do is flip that to say, Thanks for your patience.
0: Yeah. Or thanks. And, or, or I appreciate you. Yeah. Whatever, you know, today, I mean, it was yeah. one of those, I thought I had to call it 830. It was at eight. And she's like, just checking in. And I hopped. I said, Oh, we'll hop on Zoom. And I said, I just want to appreciate that you stuck on the call for, almost a half an hour while I'm thinking it's at 8.30. Right. And instead of saying, you know, I apologize, but then I also yes. said, appreciate that you took the time to to do that.
1: Right. And I think, you know, I did this, <laughs> I gave this talk once to a full of Canadians and they were like so challenged by this. They were like, but Renee, it's part of our, I was like, I know it's part of your culture. I get it. But also the more we say we're sorry for things, especially to clients, right? The more that it becomes our knee jerk reaction to anything that goes wrong, they start thinking that we're to blame for things. You're not in charge of the traffic. I'm not in charge of the traffic or like the amount of sleep that I need or like my family. Like I'm not. And also here's the thing. Really? I'm not sorry that I didn't email you back in the middle of the night. That's an unrealistic expectation to put on someone. Am I sorry if I make a mistake? Yes, but there are other ways to say that, right? A client a couple months ago, we were doing this giant rental order for their wedding at the museum. It was like, I mean, honestly, it was like a $40,000 rental order, right? And I was looking at it. He was looking at it. My assistant was looking at it. The bride was looking at it. And he wrote to me, the groom said, Hey, I think this is a wrong size. I think this table is too small. And he was right. He was right. And I probably would have caught it at some other review of that rental, but I didn't. And I, felt sheepish about it. I was like, oh man. And I could have written, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't catch that. And what I wrote was good eye, good looking out. I'm going to get that fixed right away. Because the thing is that they don't care if we're sorry. They just want it fixed. So for me to say sorry or not sorry, it didn't phase him at all. He didn't need me to be apologetic. He needed it fixed. So I think sometimes sorry keeps us in the grievance as opposed to like moving us forward to solutions. I think sorry is the most important thing we can all get rid of, especially as women, right? Yeah. Because also when, we, when women apologize like that, I mean, I know this is like, it's 2022 and are we still talking about gender norms? But like, unfortunately, we still are. So if you're a woman vendor, and especially if you're apologizing to a male, the perception then becomes like, well, they don't know what they're doing because they're constantly saying sorry, 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 sorry. So I
0: just try to get rid of that entirely. Like, I don't even play with sorry anymore. And sometimes you don't even know you're saying it. Oh, hundred percent. I think a lot of it is just totally reaction of things that you've heard your mom say it, you've heard, you know, your Oh yeah. It just like you said earlier, it's just the family of origin and it just keeps going mm-hmm. down and down and down. Mm-hmm. And who's gonna be the person that cuts that off? Yeah. Have
1: you ever known someone who apologizes while they're speaking? They'll have an idea and they'll be like, okay, but sorry, da da. And then they say their idea and it's always women. And I want to take them by the shoulders and be like, oh my God stop apologizing for existing. Stop apologizing for having a thought. Like, are you kidding? Take up space. Like, sorry, as a general problem, if we all just got rid of sorry, even my lovely Canadians, I actually think we'd be much better off like as a culture because it's so, it just trains people how to treat us and it trains them to treat us the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. My other favorite one to talk about is the phrase, does that make sense? When I give this presentation a lot to like in public, you're not getting it in Seattle. When I say this, like half the room puts their head down in like a little bit of shame where they're like, I say that. And the thing is like, especially if our jobs are to relay a lot of information or to be the go-between between information, like a lot of planners are, a lot of times our job is to take something that feels complex and distill it down into something that we think the clients can understand. And then we end that email or conversation by saying, does that make sense? And I understand why we say it because we are trying to communicate. Did you know, did you get it? Do you need me to explain further? But what that does subconsciously, of course, is that it brings up two things, right? The first is the idea that perhaps you are not coherent enough to explain something properly. (laughs) So it's sort of right. It sort of puts you with a position of like, I might have been an idiot. Did you get it? Like, Or the client is too dumb to understand what was just said. And either one, I don't want. So what I switched it to is, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Or what are your thoughts on this? Or simply thoughts, question mark. Yeah. Because if our clients don't understand something, they're probably going to say, I don't know what this is, or explain this to me more. Or they're going to give us a response that lets us know they don't understand what was just communicated. But asking someone, does that make sense? Puts us in a position of lower power, lower status.
0: Like, is it a thought thing? Put questions, question mark?
1: Questions, yes. Questions, thoughts. I don't love feelings because I don't really have feelings. It's that brings up other things. You know, feelings could be something we're talking about with our other relationships, like with husbands, spouses, children, right? Explain me people, what are your feelings about that? You, have any, you know, like that's okay. In a professional relationship, maybe not. But I think we, I get it's reflexive, right? It's, does that make sense? And when we say it, most of the time we're saying it because we're like, I don't know if I communicated that properly. Well, listen, you did the best you could in that moment. There's no different version of you that's coming to save the day with communication. It's still just you. So say whatever you want to say about the situation and then just say, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So easy. And then, and we already touched on this a little bit, we had a relationship to copy, but I in particular, I just hate the phrase, I did a thing. I mean, I don't know where that came. I'm- Instagram.
0: Yeah, I guess. It
1: came from Instagram. So listen, most people are using the phrase, I did a thing on Instagram. Generally speaking, it accompanies a photo or an announcement of something amazing something wonderful that happened. Typically, it's next to a huge accomplishment, like buying a house or starting a business or whatever financial milestone or whatever. And people are like, it's like this humble brand. Like I did a thing and I get it because no one wants to be a big braggart, arrogant person, right? No one wants that perception. But especially as women, when we run around town doing amazing things and being like, oh, I just did a thing. It just, again, has us playing small. And I just don't understand why we want that for ourselves.
0: Yeah. Like, what would be the harm in just saying? I bought a house. I bought a car. I bought a trailer. I think I did. I think I used that phrase once when I bought a camper.
1: Do you remember when you posted about it? What made you want to say that? Like, was it just a cute thing? Or did you feel like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't be talking about it? No, it was just a cute thing. Just a cute thing.
0: It wasn't, you know, it was on my personal page. I wasn't like Uh, doing something on the business page with that. But it was just It's like, hey. I know. I think I said this is the most pandemic thing I've done.
1: Yes. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I understand the impulse to say I did a thing. I just think in a business sense, it puts us in a small place. And I just don't want any of us to think of ourselves that way, you know? I mean, that's we're
0: all business owners. That's a big deal. And yeah, and saying I did a thing. No, you created this. You designed this. You... Planned this. You provided great sound, you know, music for this. Yes. You are a part of a bigger picture when it comes to a wedding. And it's not the thing.
1: And I think it's okay to say, like, I am so grateful and so proud to have accomplished fill in the blank. It's okay to say I worked for this, right? Like we spend so much time, I think, in social media, especially trying to be like, oh, this, oh, this old thing. I just did that. It's like, no, man, you put time and effort and energy and lived experience and skill and knowledge into this thing. And it's okay to say it, right? It's okay to own your success and not just toss it away as this thing that you did this, you know, oh, huh, huh. it's like, no, who's going to shout you from the rooftops if you can't do it for, for yourself? Like nobody. Do you ever talk to people? This might be a generational thing or like a regional thing. Cause I live in Los Angeles. But do you have a lot of people that you communicate with in business who sort of talk like this at the end of the sentence and everything they say is kind of like a question?
0: No, I think that's from the Valley Girl sect. I think the Valley a
1: little girl. bit. It's a Kardashian thing.
0: Oh, also that nasty. stuff. yeah. So I
1: think there's like a whole generation, a generation of
0: Because that was the 80s. I mean, that it was Valley Girl. Yes. It's now, and I don't watch the Kardashians, so I have no clue. But it's definitely, you know, when I lived in Northern California during the Valley Girl times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's a thing that I see a lot with my younger clients. They do it a lot, right? And it's, you don't even know if someone's doing it until you're like, wait, why is everything a question? And especially if you ask someone their name at a networking event and they're like, I'm like, hi, I'm Renee. What's your name? Oh, I'm Marcy. I don't know. Are you, is that your name? Why are we, what is happening right now? Like learning to say things, even the tone of the things you say with conviction, with confidence and with a period at the end of the sentence instead of a question mark will actually go a long way in training people how to treat you. You know, I was having a conversation, this was a couple of years ago, with a fellow wedding planner who was new to LA. She had moved here from another market and she was very kindly remarking that like, she was having trouble with vendors, like not respecting her and not listening to her timeline and not sort of keeping her in the loop of things. And she said, well, no one would ever do that to you. And I said, yeah, because I've trained them that it's unacceptable to treat me that way. And she said, how? And I said, with everything, with like my whole being. But when I think about it more, it's like language is such a huge part of that. And because I choose my words carefully and I try to speak to people with the same intention that I would want delivered back to me, I don't get a lot of like gruff really (laughs) from people. And I can imagine you
0: don't either. No, it was pretty much just as, and if they did, they got, you know, I remember a time where photographer was trying to, you know, bulldozer me into something. I said, and it was a husband-wife team. So the husband said it was fine. The wife came in and, and tried to railroad it. I said, hey, this is already approved. Your husband looked at it. You cannot. I mean, this is the day before the wedding. They're changing something. I said, this cannot be changed. You've had plenty of time to review this. And I cannot. It's done. It's a set thing. And if you decide to change it, then that's on you. But I'm not, And I can't remember what it was. But it was yeah. just...
1: You have to put your boundaries up, right? And not all that is verbal. Like, I'm sorry, but like, I know we're in a culture that hates confrontation and I don't love confrontation either, but I don't feel like you have, you don't have to get to the place where it's like, now it's a confrontation. It's like, we're just speaking directly. I would love us to get to the place where like direct equals neutral Mm -hmm. as opposed to direct equals bitchy or rude or demanding. It's like, I'm just, I'm from New York City. I'm direct. And, you know, I had a client in LA many years ago who, you know, hired me. We did the whole consult, hired me. We worked together for months. And then one day we were on the phone and she was like, I don't like how direct you are with me. And I said, well, I'm not sure who you thought I was, but I'm like this all the time. And she's like, well, it really unsettles me. And I said, okay, but I'm sorry to feel that way, but this is who I am. And we actually had to sort of renegotiate our relationship because she was so used to people like glad handing her for everything that my, and I wasn't mean at all. I was, she would just say like, Well, I want that. And I'd be like, well, this is how much that costs. And I would just wait. It's like, well, can't we do anything about that? I'm like, no, that's how much that thing costs. And it was an interesting lesson for me as well in, you know, just understanding that language really sets tones for relationships. And I think, you know, being yourself always helps, but there are some people, I guess, who can handle the directness, especially now. I mean, I think we've come a long way in the last couple of years, especially through a pandemic of just like, can we just be plain? Can we be honest with each other? Can we just say the thing? And so for me, direct equals neutral. And I say that in my consult calls. Like I'm a really direct person. I'm never unkind. But if you want someone to tell you the truth, that's going to be me. It just cuts through so much of the bullshit. You know?
0: Well, I mean, I had a friend told her clients, you know, when they're looking for a planner, she's like, Oh, well, Jen's great. She's a taskmaster. I'm like, can probably change that phrase to something else. Right. You know, I expect my clients to do their job and I expect me to do my job. Yeah. And it will be fabulous if we both do that. If we don't, it's gonna be a long haul. You know, because I can't do everything for you. You have to do some things. Of course. And and that was that. And yeah, you know, my clients loved me. My clients loved that. I mean They had their things, I had my things, and we met and we walked through the whole process. And
1: yeah, and here's what I want to say about that. It's like, if someone's listening and they're like, well, my clients don't listen to me and they don't do what I say, and I have a hard time getting them to follow my workflow or like my vendors don't want to talk to me or they don't, you know, whatever, whatever it is, right? This is going to be harsh, but this is what I think is so true. If you feel like you are not being valued or respected or listened to by your clients, by your fellow vendors, This is likely your fault. You can't get other people to change. There's not a vendor, another human in the world is going to be like, oh, Renee doesn't like how I am. Let me change. Even my own husband is like, this is who I am. Like, if you want something to change, you change yourself. You change yourself. Because what you're doing when you're using limiting language, especially if you're listening to us and you're like, oh, I think I do that. And you've never examined it before, right? If you're using all this limiting language, you are subconsciously giving people permission to dismiss you just based on how you communicate with them.
0: And I noticed I'm a just person sometimes and somebody called me out on it. And so I'm like, besides you, and I was just like, it's not even, it's personal now. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't use that. I need to take it. Yeah. And I'm literally thinking while we're talking, I'm like, I'm going to put a list of words on my computer to say, these are the words and phrases to stop using. I use thoughts. I use question, mm-hmm. you know, but the just and the sorry comes in every once in a while, but not yeah. much, but I think that just comes in a lot.
1: Yeah. There's another phrase too that we haven't talked about. I don't use it, but I know several women who do. It's just in my leadership roles and like different boards I've been on. The I'm no expert, but dot, dot, dot. So sometimes it'd be like, well, I'm no math whiz, but I think those, I think the budget's off. And it's like, why did you have to say that I'm no math whiz part? Couldn't you just say, I think this calculations are off? Like what, why are we so willing to throw ourselves under the bus just to start a sentence or just to insert ourselves in a conversation. Like, I don't understand why we do it, but I'm on a mission to get us all to stop. They hire us because we're the experts. Yeah, they do. And then they want us to be experts. They don't want us to be shrinking violets who are like, well, maybe, but I don't know. Do you think? It's like we don't do ourselves or our clients any favors by surrounding our language and all of these head phrases, these like just actually kind of, you know, kind of as another one, like, look, I kind of think that's not the best idea we've had. Okay. what is? <laughs> and also that's a sentence that I, my brain wants to completely ignore. What do you mean? Is this not a good idea? Say, I don't think this is a good idea. Like have the courage of your conviction, stand behind the thing you want to say. It takes like training. It takes bravery. It takes, it's a muscle like anything else. But what's the worst that can happen if you're like, I don't think that's a great idea. And people are like, oh, why? Then you get to talk more about why you think it's a bad idea. Like, what's the best? What? No one's I don't think there's a universe in which someone's going to go shut up, Renee. Yeah. And if it is, that's a group I don't want to be a part of anyway. Yes. Thank you for showing me who you are. Goodbye. You don't deserve my time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is after I give this presentation in like local markets, like when I was up in Seattle, I get a lot of DMs in the weeks following from people that are like, oh, you're in my head. And I'm like, good. I'm glad I'm in your head. Someone needs to be in your head, being like, that's not an appropriate word. Yeah. Don't say
0: sorry. Don't say kind of. Don't say actually. Don't say just. So, what are the tools to look at for these things besides like my little hack of writing the list, writing the the words down on the sheet? I mean, I love that hack because it's very much like in your face. And I also
1: think when we hand write things, our brain, I mean, neuroscience tells us that our brain, you know, hooks onto it more when we handwrite something. So I'm forever a handwriter and journaler and all that good stuff. But the list is number one. I think number two, if you use Google Chrome as your browser, which I do, there is a plugin for Google Chrome called Just Not Sorry. And it will underline, it won't, listen, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't like take the words out. But if you use limiting phrases, it will underline them in the body of your email, in the caption of Facebook, like wherever you're typing. It'll just say just see, uh huh. It'll say, did you like, it'll just underline the word just or actually or sorry. And sometimes it's appropriate. You leave them in. Sometimes yeah. you make a choice, but it, it just kind of tunes your brain into, into what you're doing, what you're doing like instinctually, habitually. Right. And it's free. It's a free plugin. And then the other tool is Grammarly, which I know a lot of people use. I love Grammarly. It's on my browser. It's on everything now. Mm-hmm. The reason I love Grammarly for this is that a lot of times if you are writing fairly quickly, it will suggest an entirely new sentence structure for you. And it will almost always take out these limiting phrases because Grammarly knows we don't need them. And I have—I don't know if this is a Grammarly Pro feature or it's on the Grammarly Free. I have the Pro. It's like, I don't know, hundred bucks a year or something. It's very reasonable. But it frequently will just rewrite a whole sentence when you hover over it. And it always takes out just actually kind of, it takes out all those words and it just rephrases it for you. And then you're like, oh yeah, that is cleaner. So both of these tools are just meant to train your brain so that when you don't have these tools in front of you, when you're texting or whatever, you can do it. You know, you're just training your brain a different way. That's all.
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it on Grammarly because I use, I still use Safari. Oh, okay. But I do have Grammarly. So yeah, try
1: it on Grammarly. And here's the thing. If you listen back to our conversation, Jen and I have used all these words. It's not like it goes away one day. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm clean and free. It's a constant work in progress, but it's not arduous, right? It's just these little changes that you make every day. And for me, it's about my emails. Like I want my emails to go out looking good, feeling good, sounding like me, sounding confident, sounding like I know what the hell I'm doing. And also in Grammarly, the piece I forgot to mention is that they also have a tone detector So when you write your email at the end, it'll say like, this email sounds friendly, confident. And like one time it was like, this email sounds anxious. And I was like, oh, why? And I went back and realized I wrote it when I was tired. I was tired at the time I was writing it. And I was like, oh, this is like peppered with limiting language. And my tone is off. I just deleted it and rewrote it because I was like, well, there's no fixing it. And I don't want those words out there in the world associated with me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I did, and you can put Grammarly on everything. I mean, like you everything. Said, I have it on just on. So when I type something, he'll you know, it looks at everything and does that. Because I somehow missed grammar in elementary school somewhere. I, moved, <laughs> I was my dad was in <laughs> airport, so I moved around. Oh yeah, like remedial grammar, and I still couldn't figure it out. So Grammarly for me is totally just like for me, it is grammar based because yeah, I'm like I don't know what happened. I just don't know. For me, it's Grammarly sends me like these weekly updates,
1: which I'm sure it does you too. And it always tells me like what my most like frequent mistakes are and it's leaving out the article and then missing commas because like so much of our language in the writing industry is like, I never say like the planner or the photographer. I just say like photographer will arrive at blah, blah, blah. Planner will arrive. And Grammarly is like no articles. And I'm like, that's just the way we write in this industry. So it's fine. But yeah, I think Grammarly is a a lifesaver. And in fact, when I get an email that's riddled with mistakes, I'm like, do these people not have Grammarly? Like, I just assume everyone has it. And for me, it's like, it's even on when I'm using Canva. Like, it's on all the time. I love it. I have, yeah, I'm
0: looking for the little thing. But it's, I mean, I was on a forum talking about my soon-to-be electric car, and it's telling me this and this and this. I'm like, yeah, I don't care about that. Okay, that's fine. Okay, I'll change that. I'll do whatever. But I'm like, yeah the rail. It's not on the rail. I mean, it is on the rail car, but everybody just talks like I'm like it's on rail and they know what they're, they know what I'm talking about. You know, it's my other
1: little tool here. And this is like a real, again, this is like kind of a homegrown thing, right? But I really like for this work to partner up with a buddy, right? Especially when it's about your website, especially your Instagram. I think Instagram is a place where look for better or worse as wedding professionals, we have to be on Instagram. I'm not even going to argue with people anymore about like, well, I don't like it. I don't. No one cares. I do plenty of things. I don't like bookkeeping. Well, that's not a good example because I outsource that. But I have someone who does it. But back in the day when I didn't, when I couldn't afford that, I hated it. And I did it anyway. Instagram, you bite the bullet. Just do it. Get someone to sit down with over coffee or wine and just look at each other's stuff and like read each other's websites. Does this copy feel like you? Does it sound like you? Does it have limiting language? Is the tone too small? I was reading someone's website the other day, and everything they said about their work was so humble that I was like, I wouldn't hire you. And they said, "Why?" I go, "Because it was all just like, oh, who me? Oh no, I couldn't." And I'm like, I don't want that. I want someone who confidently says, "Yeah, I'm good at this, and you should pay me for it." Now, maybe that's my Enneagram three,
0: <laughs> the personality there. Also, but I mean, when you're actually presenting yourself to a client, to a potential client, you know, you want to come in. I mean, that language still affects how you talk Yep, and how you're showing your work and how you're presenting yourself. Yeah. I was hiring a planner for my own wedding. There was a planner that I didn't hire because I would actually bulldoze them. Yep. I would, I'm like, they're sweet, they're lovely. And I will just take the bulldozer that is in me and just go, yep, right down there. And I'm like, I want somebody who's going to be able to stand up to me, be able to tell me whatever. And I feel like that's the same. That's how I wanted to present myself as a planner Mm. or anything. Yeah, I agree that, you know, your shit. I may not know my shit, but I'm going to tell you I know my shit. That's right. Fake as you make it.
1: I also have a thing. Speaking about hiring planners, when I hired my wedding planner a million years ago, because I lived in L.A., but I was getting married in Philly. I vetoed any wedding planner that called their packages like cutesy shit. Oh, yeah. It's like best day ever. Your fairy tale day. I was like, oh, F no, I'm not doing this. I wanted someone who was just straightforward. What is it? Is it full planning? Is it partial? Is it money management? What is it? And any like, and also because I would talk to these people on the phone back in the day, right? On the phone. Yeah. And they'd be like, Well, which package are you interested in? And I'd be like, I can't, I don't know what any of those words mean. I don't know what Queen of Hearts means versus Jack of Spades versus Latte versus they were wild in the early in the 2010s, right? When people were just cutesy names, and that's the first thing I tell any of my students. I'm like, stop with the cutesy names, nobody cares. Nobody knows the difference between well, I guess the only thing, the only rating scale I would think is like platinum, gold, bronze, fine. I'll give you that one only. But I don't know the difference between your magical day, your fairy tale day, your best day ever, your wonderful day. I don't care.
0: I think at the end of the day, just be straightforward. I mean, yeah, I guess you have you have two very straightforward women on the podcast right now. It's <laughs> like the you know what? Just say what
1: you mean. Yeah, say what you mean. And you know what? If someone doesn't like it, so what. So are you going to die? Are you going to crumble? Are you Are going to melt like the Wicked Witch when they pour water on her? No, none of those things are going to happen. Someone's going to be marginally annoyed by you for a minute and a half, less, 10 seconds, and they're going to move on with their day, and you're going to move on with yours, and nothing has happened. There is no bruise on your skin. If they don't hire you, they don't hire you. Yeah. I mean, that's we can't be hired by everyone. I don't no. want it. No. I don't want it. No. So I'm saying get with your bestie, get with the Instagrams, Just go through the captions. What are we trying to say here? Are we educating? Are we selling? Are we revealing our personality? Are we telling the truth? Are we giving our perspective? Do you know how many Instagram captions I read that tell me nothing about the person? There's no personality. There's no perspective. There's nothing. I'm like, why did you bother posting this? Pretty photos are a dime a dozen. I want to know your feelings, your thoughts
0: about the photo. Yeah. Anyway, I could go on forever, Jen. This could be a seven hour. We could talk about this. So I asked this to all of my interviewee, people I interview for the podcast, is what is your best piece of mindset advice? Oh my gosh.
1: Mindset is everything. And I know it's like such a woo-woo thing to say. And if you had told me like 15 years ago, that's what I'd be on a podcast saying, I'd be like, come on. But the thing is, if you're not a mindset believer, right? If you're like, nah, it doesn't matter. Then you're just missing out on a huge piece of not only your business, but your life. Because the best work I've ever done on my life is mindset work. And here's my biggest piece of mindset advice. Entrepreneurship is about self-awareness. And if you were trying to run a business without deeply knowing yourself, you're probably not going to be very successful or you're going to get to a certain level and then just plateau and stop. Because I mean, this is going to sound like a big task, right? But working on your self-development is constant work. And that's the real work because the skills and all that stuff, you're going to improve those just by doing the work, but you're not going to improve yourself if you don't do any work on yourself. And so mindset's everything. I wouldn't be successful at all without mindset practice. And I also just want to add to that, that I don't ever want to be a person anymore, right? Because I was, that bases my self-worth on what I've accomplished in my business and that's it. Because when you do that, right, you're allowing too many things to hurt you, right? Oh, I didn't book that wedding, deep depression. No, absolutely not, because that's not me. That's not who I want to be in this world. I don't want to be someone who gets deeply hurt by some marginal infraction, some tiny thing. Like, no, I'm much stronger than that, right? So if someone doesn't book me or someone doesn't like me or I don't get that speaking gig or, you know, I filmed a TV show a couple of days ago and like, it, there was a point in which I didn't think that it would go to me. Mm-hmm. And I was depressed about it a little. I was like, oh, I thought that was going to, okay, well, and then I literally thought, well, okay, if it's not me, then I hope someone else good gets it. And I was, I had that moment of like, oh, that's a bummer. I'm so, and then I was like, no, wait a minute though. The good part is like, I actually was in consideration. And so, yay, right? Like I always try to, I know it sounds Pollyanna, but that's the mindset work, right? Is that I don't let these things get me down in bed under a weighted blanket crying anymore the way I used to in year one and two and three, if I'm being honest. In the end, I did book it, right? So it's like, had I done all that worry and depression and bad feeling about myself, then I would have been for nothing. I would have put my body through all that for literally nothing because in the end it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really long answer to your question, but I love mindset stuff is everything.
0: I know. I know. I think I'm going to do a whole thing on mindset. Yes. I'm going to do a whole figure out on mindset. So where can people find you and more about you and more about the power of language.
1: So my website is ReneeDallow.com. At the time that this airs, it'll probably be a brand new website. We're like so close to launching it, like so close. And so I'm really proud of the new site. So I hope it's the new site. It'll be me. the new site. Good. It'll be the new site. And then I'm also at Instagram at Renee Dallow. And that's where I do all of my thought leadership stuff, my speaking, my education. And we are launching something new next year that I'm very excited about which we'll talk about, which is kind of mindset-based a little as part of it. And yeah, my wedding planning stuff is all at Moxie Bright events, but there won't be any education over there. So if you want to see pretty wedding photos and rants about napkins and lighting, you can go to Moxie Bright events and for everything else at Renee Dallow.
0: They'll all be on the links. Is there anything that you want to impart before we sign off for the day?
1: I want to say that just start making small changes. Just pick one. If you're like, I say sorry a lot, then just... Put your attention on that. I know it can feel overwhelming when we mention all these things, right? You're like, oh, I do all of them. I have to change everything. You don't really. Just change one. Change the one you do the most. And if you're not sure, go in your email account and just go to the
0: search bar and type in any one of those words and see how many times it comes out. Talk about a scary sight. I know. I've got a, I've got a little time <laughs> on my hands. I might do a <laughs> scary thought and see what happens. I love it. Well, thank you for coming on, Renee. I appreciate your time. And we'll I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Design Your Wedding Business. If you love what you're learning each week, please let me know by leaving a rating and a review. And while you're there, don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on any new episodes. As always, you can head over to my website, jentaylorconsulting.com to check out all the links and resources from this episode in the show notes. I'll talk to you all next week.